You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Mike Florio's new book, Playmakers, How the NFL Really Works and Doesn't, now available online wherever books are sold, and it's a best bestseller here. Florio joining us in the news yesterday is Bruce Arians, in uh, one of his last things that he said as the head coach of the Buccaneers, called out Florio and said that, uh, well, go ahead, you can write about it, Mike. Um, what did you make of Bruce Arians yesterday? Yeah, you know, I'm sitting there minding my own business, Dan, <laughs> in my office, working on PFT, got a, a window open with the Buccaneers press conference. And I mean, if I'd have had a mouthful of water or coffee or, well, it was too early to have anything stronger than that, I would have spit it all over the computer screen. I couldn't believe it. And look, I, 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 I like it. I, it just shows that they read and they heed and they listen and they pay attention. And I'm sure he's not thrilled with my speculation slash somewhat informed discussion of how this all came to be. But any, know, any I, chance that his, you know, the way he announces retirement is actually real, like it's true. Well, when has this ever happened, first of all? It's the first time since Jimmy Johnson left the Cowboys in March of 1994 that a coach has exited this late in the cycle. None of it adds up. He was all in. He was at the scouting combine. He was involved. He was involved in free agency. And the idea that Tom Brady coming back caused him to say, now's the time to leave. If anything, it would cause him to say, now's the time to stay. I was worried about what we're going to do without Tom Brady. Now Tom Brady is back in 17 days after. This was the key for me, Dan. 17 days after Tom Brady ends a 40-day retirement, Bruce Arians is out. And there's never even the most remote suggestion that Tom Brady is troubled by that. Doesn't that tell us kind of everything we need to know? And I think we're underrating what Bruce Arians means to the football team on game day. But the fundamental problem here, I think, arose from the fact that Arians wasn't involved with the team most of the time, and that he would show up and become involved. And at a certain point, the folks who are grinding every day, busting their asses every day, are going to resent that. And I think that's where some of this professional friction came from. Doesn't mean there's personal friction. You know, the Arians fallback is we get along fine. Well, there's been plenty of people I've worked with over the years that I love them personally. Professionally, I just can't work with you anymore. It's possible that those two things can exist. What do you think happened when Brady went to London? Something. (laughs) And it was so funny. He puts out that video of Cristiano Ronaldo saying, you're done, right? And he's like, and two hours later, he's back. I mean, he knew damn well what he was doing. I think he retired. And this is a take that Sims and I have kind of come up with after talking about it way too often over the past few months. The retirement wasn't something that he was forced into. His dad says, well, you know, ESPN reported he's retiring, so he had to retire. Like, like that's going to be a real factor in your life decision to retire. I think he actively explored whether or not he could pull off a move to another team. The Dolphins were looking at Sean Payton and Tom Brady together. That's not happening if Tom Brady isn't at least interested in the possibility of partnering up with Sean Payton. Those thoughts aren't being had and entertained and acted upon by the Dolphins, who admit that they called the Saints to inquire about the availability of Sean Payton and were told, don't even waste your time by former Dolphins GM, Jeff Ireland, who's now the assistant GM in New Orleans. So I think part of that 40 days was, is there another place I can continue my career? 
And one of the benefits of being Tom Brady is you never have to order the code red. You never have to dirty your hands with, gee, I'd really like to come back, but I'm not happy with the coaching situation. That's something that happens three levels down, gets communicated three levels down from ownership of the Buccaneers, and it works its way up. And people, you know, Jason Light said yesterday on Rich Eisen's show, Tom never made a demand. Of course he didn't make a demand. If you're Tom Brady, you don't have to make a demand. It's one of the benefits of being Tom Brady. Is it your feeling or is it reporting? Well, I think it's a combination of both. And I think that's kind of where we are in today's world. When you're plugged into the matrix 24 hours a day like I am, and you've been doing it for 20 years, you get an idea of what's really going on. For example, when Pete Carroll tells the world we have no intention to trade Russell Wilson, my first reaction was, there's a for sale sign, folks. <laughs> They're willing to trade him. And I had all these Seahawks fans and Seahawks media, you're crazy, you're nuts, you're high, you're whatever. And then what happened? A week later, they have a deal to trade him to the Denver Broncos. So you develop a sense of what the patterns are, what the trends are, what the truth is, and what the BS is. And this one is so weird in comparison to everything else we've seen in the last 20 years, or the last 40 years, or the last 50 years. There's got to be smoke there. And where there's smoke, as we often know, there's fire. I had some Seattle fans who blamed me for Russell <laughs> Wilson getting traded because I had him on and he did that interview where he kind of aired his, his laundry. And I went, all I did is ask a question. Normally, Russ doesn't give you anything of great detail. And he gave me a whole lot there. And then I followed up. And that's why I said all along, I thought we were going to have something similar to what we had with the Rams and the Lions, where Matthew Stafford and the Lions would mutually agree what's best for both is to divorce, and that's exactly what happened in that situation. We're talking to Mike Florio. The book is Playmakers, available online wherever books are sold. So Brady gets what he wants, I guess, with Todd Bowles. The only thing that I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this one item does Bruce Arians have the autonomy to pick his successor? I mean, that's what was surprising, that it feels like ownership would say, we kind of want to know, you know, what, what our plan is down the road. Bruce said, hey, I wanted to have Todd Bowles, and I'm all for Todd Bowles getting another chance. I just didn't know that Bruce would have that say, that power to name his successor. Well, look, if what we're being told is true, and obviously I have my doubts, Bruce Arians put ownership in a very tough spot by walking away when he did. Because if I own a football team, I would at least like to know as soon as possible after the season ends that I'm going to be looking for a coach. Because I, was, I would at least like to have the opportunity to cast a wider net and, and consider my options. Maybe I come back to Todd Bowles at the end of the day, but I'd at least like to have the chance to try. What else are you going to do if you're the Buccaneers? and your head coach leaves on March 30. You're gonna start a search, then you can't. Under the rules, no team is required to let you talk to any of their assistants under contract because March 1 is when that window closes. That's why the Rooney rule doesn't apply. That's a loophole, by the way, that I think they're gonna close. Because I, as, soon as, I, as soon as I saw that the Rooney rule doesn't apply, to any vacancies after March 1, I thought, oh boy, Jerry Jones is going to fire Mike McCarthy after March 1 and hire Sean Payton or elevate Dan Quinn. Now that Jerry Jones knows this exists, because it's the first time it's ever happened, he's going to use it, and they're going to close that loophole before he can. All right, before I let you go, uh, the Baker Mayfield story seems pretty quiet. Is it going to stay well, that way for until the draft or after the draft? I think both of these teams that are looking to trade 
veteran quarterbacks with significant salaries, the 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo and the Browns with Baker Mayfield. I think they want to wait at this point to see what happens with the draft. That there's going to be maybe a team that is targeting a quarterback round one or two. If they don't get him, then maybe a trade market emerges. At some point, though, it gets very awkward because you can't lock the guy out of the facility if he wants to show up. And if I'm Baker Mayfield, deal with me. I'm not going to go sit in the corner. You got to deal with me or you got to cut me. These, even though these guys don't have no trade clauses, you have a lot of power when you're a starting quarterback. If a team is going to trade for you and you don't want to go there, good luck getting that team to give up any significant assets for that contract. That could be a mess for any team that tries to trade for Garoppolo or Mayfield. Mayfield's got a ton of power also because his salary is fully guaranteed. He's getting $18.8 this year no matter what. So it's a mess for the Browns and for the 49ers. It's going to be one of the fun storylines to keep an eye on as the offseason continues. Also, with the Rams, with Bobby Wagner, I was just thinking of that. They keep kicking the salary cap down the road, signing these guys. That, you know, they don't need draft picks here. Uh, but Bobby Wagner signing, um, I, I thought it was a great pickup. I don't know cost-wise if it is. But this plan, the Rams keep buying into it. Uh, your thoughts on Wagner? Well, two things. Five years, 50 million. I mean, how many times do we have to hear the big number yeah. and then see the real numbers and see the details and understand what the deal really is before we become skeptical of the big number? I'm skeptical of five years, 50 million, but five years spreads it out more under the cap. And here's the thing to remember about the cap dollars. It goes up every year. So a million dollars in cap space this year means a lot more to a team than a million dollars in cap space next year because the cap's going to be higher. It's a smaller percentage. That's why teams kick it forward because the cap's going to keep going up. And damn, with the gambling money, with the TV contracts, cap's going to be $300 million before we know it. So that's why these teams do it. And if you're the Rams, and you, hey, Aaron Donald on the line, Bobby Wagner at linebacker, Jalen Ramsey at corner, we're sleeping on the Rams. So much talk last year about the Buccaneers repeating. Why aren't we talking about the Rams repeating? All the talents left the NFC. The Packers are down. The Bucks are still going through a coaching change. We take for granted how good Bruce Arians is on game day. They could be down a little bit. And here are the Rams. They're right where they left off. And I think we need to be thinking about them as a team that gets back to the Super Bowl and maybe wins it again. I'll tell Bruce Arians you said hello. Please do. Thank you, Mike. Have a great Thank weekend. You, the book is Playmakers. It's a great book. The, how the NFL really works and doesn't. Available online wherever books are sold. Update the poll results there, Seton, if you can, from the first hour. Dan, we went with who had who? the better week. Okay. <laughs> and right now, we're going to save that for after the break. Okay. Well done. <laughs> well done, McLovin. Well done. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. Randy Johnson, the big unit. I'm looking at his numbers. He might be underrated. You don't think of that. But I remember when he was with the Montreal Expos and I thought he was Nuke Lelouch before Nuke Lelouch. He was 7-13 and 13 his first year. And you weren't sure if he was going to throw it to the backstop, hit somebody, or strike somebody out, or all the above. And then all of a sudden, he found magic. It, it's almost like Sandy Koufax did, too. Because Koufax, I think, had a hard time with control, and then all of a sudden found it, and then never looked back. But uh, the big unit will join us coming up. I didn't realize he had won five Cy Young Awards, I think four in a row. 
But he and he pitched till he's forty five. Yeah, Paulie. Dan, he was a top five in the Cy Young in his twenties and in his forties. <laughs> his first year in the pros, though, he had seven wild pitches, seven balks. Hit seven guys. <laughs> he struck out 130 and walked 100. And could you imagine being a left-hander going to the plate against him back then? Rex Chapman, Turner Sports College basketball analyst, former Kentucky star, Twitter legend, and his show, the weekly show Rex Chapman premieres this Monday on CNN+. Plus. New episodes will stream every Monday. Did you get recruited by Coach K at Duke? No, they knew I couldn't get in. <laughs> well, how, did, how did they know that <laughs> uh, they probably just saw me do an interview <laughs> did north carolina recruit? yeah i visit i visited carolina i loved carolina growing up i visited uh carolina kentucky louisville georgia tech another place i couldn't get in as a favor to craig neal who played on the team then uh, but yeah, no, I loved Carolina. Dean was the guy. I was just talking about this to uh, some buddies the other day. When I was growing up, and maybe when you Dean Smith was the guy, yeah. like he was, and to like to my son who's twenty nine, Coach K is the guy. Um, I just can't can't believe he's retiring. I kind of hate it. But do you remember? Did you go to North Carolina and you were in Dean Smith's office? Yes, sir. Uh, I was, uh, I was, uh, I remember Roy, young Roy Williams, uh, was the main recruiter. Uh, he hit, he had just gotten into coaching and he and Dean flew to Owensboro, Kentucky, uh, to pick me up. I flew back with them to Carolina. They had, uh, Jeff Lebo, Brad Darty, um, Joe Wolf, Kenny Smith, uh, they had a really nice squad. I had a great visit. Um, just probably wasn't going to leave the state. <laughs> but do you look back and go, would it have been better for me to leave the state instead of staying in house oh. where you were a you were a legend in the state of Kentucky and the pressure was probably pretty immense that maybe if you'd gone to Carolina, would it have changed things for you? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, I do know this, that given what I've gone through, I'm not sure if I'd have gone somewhere else that that place would have welcomed me back with open arms like uh, Kentucky did and the state and the university uh, after some of my issues. So I don't really second guess that. Uh, Kentucky's a, an amazing school. It's been great to me. I love the people there. Um, I don't know about the wouldas and couldas. Yeah. Uh, Louisville, Louisville was really my my only other school that I truly considered. And I grew up loving Daryl Griffith, um, Denny Crum, that whole thing. Dr. Duncan Stein, Dr. Duncan Stein. I mean, that, that team, who was it? Bobby Turner? Was he? No, I, well, you know what? They had uh, Dr. Duncan Stein. They had the McRae brothers, Rodney and Scooter, Poncho Wright, Wiley Brown. Had had the the thumb. Missed his thumb. Missing missing thumb. thumb. Yeah. Yeah, what a what a team! And they got up and down the court. They were also proximity-wise. Louisville is about only about an hour and a half from Owensboro, where I grew up. Where Kentucky is about two and a half away. How did North Carolina get here? Wow, uh, you know it's interesting. I, you know, I did some of the tournament stuff uh, for for TNT. How was that experience, by the way? It was awesome. It was fantastic. Yeah. You know, 
it beats working. <laughs> <laughs> so it was great. Um, but I saw Duke play the first game of the season against Kentucky in New York in the garden. And Duke was so much bigger uh, that I thought this team's this team has to be in the final four at some point. I completely forgot about all of that. Once I started looking at the brackets, that being said, I think Carolina's here because they're big. They are huge. They've got a big team. This matchup is crazy. You know, I can't imagine, I can't believe this is the first time these two programs have met in the, in the tournament. Um, but what a beautiful matchup. I love Roy Williams. I love Hubert Davis. I, it, nothing would make me any happier to see Hubert Davis win it his first year out. I'm rooting for Coach K, though. I really am. Well, hasn't he earned enough, got enough? Nope. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, shouldn't he share? He is. Johnny Dawkins and those guys willed him to one of his first Final Fours. These, this team is willing him now uh, to this Final Four. And that, if you'd have told me – we talked about Dean Smith a little while ago. He had, you know, that's how kind of I learned to watch basketball was watching him. Coach K came in when that era of basketball was still going on and look at how he's adapted. He's not only adapted to, uh, you know, the landscape of college basketball with the one and done and all that. But I remember a few years ago, Jabari Parker playing for Duke just came down and launched one, no passes, just launched one. And I'm thinking in my mind, he's coming right out. Kay's jerking him out. Nope. Let him keep playing. So there's some things you just have to let go now. And he's done that. Yeah. I want, we're talking to Rex Chapman. I'm watching a lot. There's a lot of bad shooters in college basketball, Rex. I was built for this, this era. Bad, I invented bad shots. <laughs> <laughs> you might have been better now. <laughs> might have been. Don't have to play defense at all. Come on. No, but I'm watching this. And, you know, I like Villanova. Um, I do too. You know, Jay Wright is a wonderful coach. Bill Self has done it again with a team that probably doesn't have a legitimate star there. We're investing more in the coaches probably than we ever have. Now, Hubert Davis is the outlier, but still he has the pedigree and that franchise yeah. does. Is that what college basketball is? I, I liken it to you're either 18 years of age or you're 23 years of age. It's either you're one and done yeah. or you're yeah. a fifth-year senior. Yeah, I, I think we we all have to get used to changing our uh, our lens of college basketball and what that means. Players are getting paid now. Just get used to it. They're pro, they're professional players or semi-pro players. Um, I got no problem with the coaches making money. I do have a problem with, you know, now we see the transfer portal and I know people are upset about it, but come on, this is a system you guys have in place. Now guys can basically guys who want to be traded can get traded. Well, the <laughs> coaches, college. the coaches have and been the, in the transfer portal forever. And, and that's my point. I'm fine with the coaches making the money, but they may need to sit out for a year if they go just up and break their contract and go somewhere else. That's not right, especially when the players couldn't do that. That's definitely not right. It's never been right. Tell us about the new show on uh, CNN. Well, apparently they found something to do with me, Dan. I know you and I talked months ago and you said, 
Nobody knows what to do with you. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah. I talked to Rex and his agent, and they're, they're like, what do we do with Rex? I go, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't want that pressure to try to do something with you. You know, and I got some really good advice from you, from Rich Eisen, from some people who know some things in the business. And, you know, the main thing was, Rex, don't let them do anything too television-y. You know, you're, I'm not a host. I can't do what you do. I'm not a play-by-play guy. That's a whole different set of skills. Uh, so really, my show is just me sitting down and talking with people. I can tell you a few of the people that we've had on uh, on our first episode on Monday. It'll be Jason Sudeikis. I went over to London and interviewed him. We had a great time. Just sat at their little their bar that they go to in the show and uh, for an hour and just had a terrific conversation. I've interviewed Ben Stiller. That'll come up on another one. Kevin Love, uh, terrific conversation with Kevin Love, who I had never really, we had never met each other. Um, and we talked a lot about mental health. Um, so I'm excited. I don't like anything that I do, whether it was basketball or this or any, I hate watching myself. They forced me to watch some of it. It's not bad. They made you look good. They, <laughs> they made me look good. Hey, what they can do with editing and post post uh, production, amazing. Was the it, team of people. Was Jason team of Sudeikis, people that they, uh, Jason Sudeikis a college basketball? Did you talk about his uh, college basketball career? Yes, and it's fantastic. Uh, you know, because I, I don't want to give too much away, but I tell people that, like with Allen Iverson, Allen, if you go up to Allen telling you love him as a basketball player, he said, well, he'll say, well, I'm a football player. You should have seen me play football. In Jason's mind, he's a basketball player. Uh, you know, on his SNL, you know, beginning of his SNL career, you know, he's out on the playground here in New York shooting hoops. He played seriously, took it seriously, did drills, the Maravich drills, all of that stuff. Decent high school player, went to play in college. That's what he wanted to do. Yeah. So we get into that, a lot of other good stuff, and uh, I'm just excited about it. Uh, social media roughed you up with the Pete Gillen uh, rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm thrilled Pete is alive. I, I am I, too. I am too. Day. But, Rex, I'm watching it live. <laughs> and I go, Rex can't be on drugs again. Like, Rex, you can't do this to me. He can be. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> he, he could be. But I'm, I'm watching. I'm going, I think he just said Pete Gillen was dead. And then yeah. I, I thought maybe you had God Sham God dead. And yeah. I thought, that's what, you're killing everybody. That's what the guys said on the set. We went to break and Seth said, did you say R.I.P. Pete Gillen? I said, yeah. And he goes, and he goes, well, I think he's alive. I said, oh, shit, who am I thinking of? And he goes, and I said, I'm thinking Skip Prosser. That's who I'm thinking of, uh, and who they both coached at Xavier when I was growing up. Uh, but that was it. Um, have you, you talked know, to Pete Gillen since? since I said then? I. They sent me a, a friend of his took a picture, sent it to me, <laughs> put it on Twitter. I sent back, "Great Pete, happy to know you're alive, buddy." <laughs> of course, when he dies, do? they're gonna say, "Hey, Rex, Pete it's Gillen died." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hope yeah. you're happy. I, I'm just preempting the sadness. <laughs> how do you do, how do you do cuz you're busy on Twitter? How do you react when you're the subject of Twitter? Twitter's not real. Uh, Twitter's not real life. Man, I I've, I 
people come at me on Twitter all the time. <laughs> Nobody does it in person. I see people out in the street all the time. Nobody says a damn thing. Twitter's just a Twitter's just kind of fun. You can't take it too seriously. It's not real. I uh, I saw somebody made a comment about you looking like Scott Van Pelt. But see, I have the look. It's he took it from me. Well, Andre no, Agassi they, took it from me. They said you look like <laughs> Scott Van Pelt if Scott Van Pelt o- uh, owned a chocolate factory. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's so good. Uh, it's, it's, it's so good. And what's funny about that, too, is Scott and I Scott and I get stopped. I get stopped in the airport all the time. People go, SVP. Sometimes I'm like, no. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, and I'll sign Scott Van Pelt and let them go on their way. And I know Scott gets the same thing. Hey, great, great to talk to you. And uh, good you luck too, on Monday. And uh, thanks for joining us, bud. Anytime, DP. Thanks to all the guys there. Hello and goodbye. That's Rex Chapman, Turner Sports College basketball analyst and uh, former NBA star. His new show, Rex Chapman, premieres Monday, April 4th on CNN Plus. New episodes will stream every Monday. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app, at FSR, or stream us live on the Peacock app. Mike check. Mike check. Do you want exclusive insight from the biggest names in the sports game? What's good? This is national champion and former pro baller Chris Johnson. And let me tell you a little bit about my new series, KJ Live. KJ Live is the only show featuring me going one-on-one with the brightest basketball minds on the planet to get the real. And when I say real, I mean that real. I got legendary Hall of Famers, elite coaches, and the top basketball insiders bringing you a unique perspective on all things hoops culture that you will not find anywhere else. To make your next move your best move and tap in with me on KJ Live, wherever you get your podcast from. We'll get to Randy Johnson here in a moment. Last week, we had Dave Robertson, Dodgers manager. And somehow we ended up with a conversation and a story about when Dave Roberts went to the plate and actually tried to bunt on Randy Johnson. Here's the Dodgers manager. I didn't get the chance to hit the homer off Randy because he drove me in the ribs anyway. So, um, yeah, so I got the, the, the uh, repercussion of getting hit by Randy. I guess I could have had him sign that ball. What did it feel like? I still feel it. Um, it was a, it was 97 two seamer. And uh, it was opening day, maybe 2003. I tried to bunt, oh. um, and then the ball went foul. And Juan Pierre always told me, he said, hey, man, if you try to bunt off Randy, he's like the Nolan Ryan guy, where if you bunt, you better make it fair, because if you don't, the next one's <laughs> going to be in your ribs. And I swear, Danny, it was like, <laughs> I, he's up there with this big black glove right under his eyes, and you got that visual. And I think it was, I swear it was like the Top Gun radar lock right on my ribs, and I could just sense it. <laughs> and then it was this heat-seeking 97 two-seamer just running right into my ribs. That's Dave Roberts, the Dodger manager. Randy Johnson, the big unit, joining us on the program. Why was it offensive if somebody tried to bunt on you? I'm not aware of that at all, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> because isn't that the ultimate compliment to you, Randy? I can't hit you. I, I, I might be able to bunt to get on, but you and Nolan Ryan took it personally. 
Yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure of, uh, you know, Nolan's reasons. And, you know, there was a lot of people that bunted off me. Uh, um, and maybe that was, you know, they were doing the best that they could do uh, to use uh, their ability to get on base, I guess. I just, I didn't see it any way other than, you know, I was just going to make it tough for you to get on base, regardless <laughs> of whether you were swinging the bat or button. Do you remember hitting Dave Roberts? I don't, but but I'm sure your engineers could probably look up how many batters I hit, and I and 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 I think it's a legit question. I think there's, I'm close to being at the top of hit batters in Major League Baseball. Well, you did pitch to your 45, so you're going to hit a few. How many how many did Unit hit, Polly? He hit 190, but uh, he really peaked in 92, 93 when he led the league in hit batsmen. Hmm. There you go. Did you ever feel sorry for somebody you hit? Uh, my mom. <laughs> you, you, a father, son, a mother, son game. You, you, you plunked your mom. Yeah, wiffle ball in the backyard <laughs> one summer. It was, it was a couple of weeks ago, actually. <laughs> and your mom's six ten as well. So, and she's ninety four. <laughs> What could you give me now? You're going to you're going to be what? 59 coming up here? 59 I think. Uh, 59 and uh I think before we continue any further I should uh talk about the disclosure of anything I say does not represent my employer, family or friends and uh <laughs> because t because today's April 1st. Okay. So with, with that being said, let's continue now. Okay. If you if you got six weeks to get ready, what would you what what do you think you could throw? What would be your top end? Uh, well, Dan, I've had three back surgeries, five knee surgeries, <laughs> and my last year I retired when I was forty six, actually not forty five. Okay. Uh, and with San Francisco, and I actually tore my my uh, a rotator cuff. And I never had surgery. I just kind of let it scar over, if you will. So oh, uh, I'm not really sure how effective I would be uh, or how scary I would be out there. Uh, I might be a little bit vulnerable not being able to throw 95 to 100. What is the motivation to play into your 40s? You know, we look at Tom Brady, some other athletes. Nolan Ryan, I think, was 45. But do you remember? You're, you're financially set. Your legacy is set. What is it that keeps you going? Because at that point in my career, I was having more fun than I had ever had. The expectations weren't quite as great as they once were at the peak of my career. And now I was more of a, a mentor, if you were, uh, when I was with San Francisco. Barry Zito, Tim Lincecum, Matt Cain, Sanchez. That's why they had me come to San Francisco, so I could be more of a mentor. And going out there and with the wind at my back at AT&T Park, throw, <laughs> throwing 91 on a good day was great. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was pitching to more contact back then and would try to get a double play. And for me back then, that was success. And I just loved the game. And, uh, you know, I might have even tried to play another year had I not tore my, my rotator cuff. But you look at your style in today's game, where it's basically you throw it hard and I swing really hard. 
How would you, how would your career be different with today's philosophy with hitting and pitching? If I was in my prime playing today's game with the way the game's being played today, I'd have 400 strikeouts. <laughs> in a season? In a season. Well, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I came close a couple of years uh, in the years that I played back then. Um, and people were swinging hard back then. But now I think analytics has really taken over. And, and, it, and in some ways, it's, it's a very important uh, part of the game. But... I don't think it's really important to know what the exit velocity was. Uh, I know when I'm 60 feet, six inches away from the hitter and I give up a home run, I know by the crack of the bat and the velocity of the ball is going over my head, nine out of 10 times, I know when it's a home run. I don't need to know, you know, what the exit velocity was, 125 miles an hour. What was that sound like when you know that you've given up a home run? Uh, the face on the baseball. You know those old cartoons that you used to see <laughs> when the face on the baseball is going by you screaming? It's like warped. It's like going, yeah! Exactly. Yeah. And there was a few of those hormones that I gave up that were like that. Well, McGuire's, that was a bomb. But yeah. do you even turn around when you give up that home run? I don't even remember. No. No, <laughs> no we, we, were, we were teammates at USC, and it was in the Kingdome. And uh, <laughs> I, actually, I actually struck out 19 in that game. <laughs> I struck out 19 in that game, and, uh, and, I was remember and, and we lost the game. And he hit that prolific home run. And when he rounded the bases... <laughs> Uh, and he got into the old kingdom there up in Seattle. He sat in the doorway right between the benches. And I kind of saw him, and I just gave him a tip of the hat, and he gave me one back. And, you know, that was a friendship that we had being old teammates from college. Yep. That's just, I got it. I'm going to throw it. You swing. If you hit it, good for you. Uh, yeah, I, didn't, I, I knew the exit velocity was pretty good. <laughs> Your name came up yesterday. We had Barkley on, and Barkley, we thought, was going to welcome us to his home during Super Bowl week in Arizona. And then we find out we're only there for a morning. We don't get to go in the house. And I go, damn, I should reach out to Randy Johnson. You know, you would be more hospitable than Barkley. This is exactly what I heard, Dan. This is what I heard, and this, and I'm so glad that we've connected. Because I do want to be a host. In fact, have a cigar. <laughs> from the White House. Exactly. A, a humidor from the White House. Oh, look at this. There's the open door policy. How, so, big, how big is the house, though? The house is about 25,000 square <laughs> okay. feet. Okay. What, what, did, what did Charles call his place affectionately? A compound. A uh, compound, but wasn't it called like the Barclay something? I called it the Barclay Center. Uh, that, that That's cute, Dan. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, is this an invitation? When you're, the, when you're the MVP of the only championship in the Valley of the Sun, <laughs> your millions of fans simply know you as and reside at Area 51. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll have all security clearance when you stay on my compound. What do we have there? What kind of toys do we have when we get to the Randy Johnson compound, Area 51? You have an assortment of high-performance sports cars, gassed and charged and ready to go. 
You'll have nothing but the finest wine Whoa. and champagne. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> you will be staying in the West Wing. <laughs> you will have a 5,000 square foot recording studio that opens up to the grotto where there's an entertainment center out there for your recording of the Super Bowl week-long stay there. Damn. Uh, can we take BP against you? Well, that's a disclaimer that you're going to have to sign. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we don't do that. That that might not go well. I, I, I'm rolling out the welcome mat and the red carpet. Why is... Charles didn't decide to do that, I have no idea. Well, he's not as and generous he, as and, you. And then he said something about how I'm not so friendly. I don't know where that came <laughs> from. I've been retired for 11 years. There might have been a point in your career where you weren't friendly, Randy. There might have been. Might have been. Yeah. On game day, yeah. Yeah, oh, I, oh, I found that out the hard way. Um, hey, great to talk to you, and uh, we'll stay in touch, but thanks for joining us. All right. Take care, Dad. All right. That's Randy Johnson, Hall of Famer. Now that, that's how you welcome somebody <laughs> to the volley. Mr. Arizona. Yes. I mean, we don't need Charles Barkley. I'm going to do a little drive-by. We go to Unit's place. We stay in the West Wing. We get to have fun. Recording studio. Cars all gassed up, ready to go. Cigars. Yeah. Wine. We got it all. Yeah, Paul. Are we sure that was Randy Johnson? That was like Don Rickles or someone. He's crushing it. I think it was. Randy Johnson. Like a body switching movie. I know. That was great. We don't need Charles Barkley. Sorry, who? Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. I've just wondered about this with the Greek freak Steph Curry, the Joker, and Joel Embiid. Those guys are all slow burns. Nobody made an all-star game first four years of their career. Giannis, Steph, the Joker, and Joel Embiid. I think their fourth year is when uh, they all made their all-star appearances. Uh, Steph, with his fifth year, he made his all-star appearance huh. there. Yeah, I got Steph his first few years. He was averaging 17, 18. Remember then he had that ankle injury in year three, Steph Curry? Yeah. He was down to 14.7 points, and then he just kind of slowly took off. Yeah, they weren't sure if they were going to re-sign him. They didn't know if it was something that was going to be, that ankle was going to be kind of reoccurring there for him. But uh, Giannis goes for 44. He's now the all-time leading scorer for the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Alex in Dallas joins us, and we'll get to uh, Bubba Watson. Hi, Alex. Hey, Dan. Uh, 5'10", 175. Hey, I was just calling. Uh, I had a couple things for you. I'm letting you guys know that in a week from now, I will be caddying in my first Masters, and I have packed with me my bright red Meat Friday shirt that I will wear under my bib on Friday, so look out for that. Who are you caddying and, for? Uh, uh, my older brother, Harry Higgs. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so we're looking forward to that. And then I had a potential uh, pie-to-the-face bet, if anybody wanted it. Okay. Uh, if tiger plays i will take um him making the cut Ooh. 
Okay. Anybody want a piece of Alex in Dallas that if Tiger plays, Tiger makes the cut? You got crickets, Alex. Everybody thinks yeah. that uh, Tiger is, uh, if he plays, is going to make the uh, make the cut. Okay. Well, I hope so too. <laughs> uh, can you get us uh, a souvenir from uh, from caddying from your your round of golf? Well, you're going to be there with uh, two days with your brother at least. Yeah, we we get there. Uh, we're actually in San Antonio right now. We leave Sunday night. We'll practice rounds Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then guaranteed two rounds. Hopefully four. Do you know who you're playing with? No, not yet. I think we find out Tuesday afternoon. All right. And I'd love to get a picture of you with your bib on and uh, with your Meet Friday shirt. That would be awesome. Yeah, for sure. I'll send one over All on right. Friday. Thank you, Alex, and good luck to your brother. We appreciate you uh, calling in. We ready uh, for Bubba Watson? Bubba Watson set to join us. Two-time Masters champ, by the way. Link Soul ambassador, investor there. Bubba joins us. Can you wear whatever you want at the Masters? Like, you're going to wear Link Soul starting Thursday? Yes. I mean, I think you can't wear a T-shirt, but you better have pants <laughs> on. Well, one thing, you better have pants on and a golf shirt. <laughs> have you seen anything where you went, wow, they allowed him to... Remember when David Duvall was wearing those, like, mock turtlenecks? And that was a big deal. He wasn't wearing a golf shirt. Yeah, I must have been cold there. That must be... <laughs> <laughs> How did you get involved with Link Soul? Uh, Link Soul, it's, I've, I've known John Ashworth for a long time. Um, obviously, he's a creative mind, um, a, a great man that loves the game of golf, wants to grow the game of golf, loves to give back. And so over the years, over the many years that I've known him and, and got to know him even more, um, the timing was right. I, I wanted to partnership with a company that that I could be invested in uh, that I could uh, have a little bit of influence but also have you know let let the company influence me and the charity dollars they've raised over different t-shirts and different things um, it's exciting to be a part of and I feel like I'm part of the family but it's so laid back it's just easy going it's lifestyle clothing um, and golfing and surfing any sport that you can think of um, that's really what it's about and just uh enjoying life so it was an easy fit for me when you go to augusta later today do you have like your routine to prepare for the first round of the masters does does that start later today that this is the normal progression that you're going to have to get ready for round one yes for sure i i show up i get i get to augusta early i show up and now with the women's amateur uh with the drive chip and putt and then me and my wife play uh, we have a grudge match, Condoleezza Rice and Lee Sleistinger, uh, two members of Augusta. So it's boys against girls. And um, so we have a grudge match on Sunday afternoon after the drive, chip, and putt. We go out and play. Uh, past champions can bring a guest, and my wife is obviously my guest. When did you find out the possibility that Tiger would be playing? Um, gosh, I saw, I saw um, social media started talking about Tiger being at Augusta. Um, and I guess Tiger, a week ago, somebody announced that his name was in the field. Um, I figured he would be at Augusta for the champion's dinner no matter what. Um, but obviously, uh, for the game of golf, how exciting. I mean, the buzz around the Masters is already high. But now having Tiger name on the field list, it's even higher. 
It's crazy that he could be playing in this, Bubba. As I've said to my audience many times, just walking that course, it's it's a whole lot hillier than people think. Oh, 100%. My dad, my dad went for the, his only time my dad went was in 2008, and um, he couldn't walk the course. He didn't know he had rheumatoid arthritis, and he had no idea that um, how hilly it was. Because on TV, you can't really see it. And so he, um, he sat on one. He watched, he watched one tee shot, number nine number 10 tee shot and 18 because they're all right there. And so that's what he did. Um, waited for me for five hours for me to hit all those spots. You remember the first time you played with Tiger? Oh, first time I played with Tiger. Yes, it was. Um, if I remember correctly, it was a practice round. Oh, seven. Uh, we were at San Diego and I knew the only chance I could play with him is wake up real early and uh, show up. And hopefully he shows up at the same time. And, um, I actually got out in front of him, and then he came over uh, the north course in, uh, in San Diego, the Torrey Pines. He came over. He was on number nine. I was on number 10, and he, um, he came over and said, can, you, can I join you? And the reason why he, and the reason why he said that is, um, is because I sent him a Christmas present in 06. Um, Dave, Chappelle, Dave Chappelle made a skit where they made fun of Tiger, and he says, uh, for shizzle, I've always wanted to say that. And um, so I sent Tiger a shirt, not knowing him. I sent him a shirt that said for shizzle um, for Christmas. And he, so that's why when he saw me, he was like, oh my gosh. So he went over there and we became friends every since, you know, he's, he's loved me every since. That was the racial draft on the Chappelle show, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, I know so much about it because he puts the glove on the wrong hand, puts it on like for a left-hander. I mean, it's just the red shirt. Yeah. Is Augusta set up for a left-hander to succeed more than a right-hander? I don't know. Jack Nicholas did pretty good around there. Yes, he did. But he did Six. well everywhere, Bubba. <laughs> yeah. He did well Six everywhere. Six wins. <laughs> yes, for sure. Uh, Tiger has, what, five? Yeah. Jack had six. So us, us lefties haven't got to that level yet. But um, I think Phil has three. Um, I have two. Mike Weir. So, I mean – if you're playing good golf, it really doesn't matter lefty or righty, but obviously history proves that righties are, are doing better. Yeah, but there's more right-handed golfers, Bubba. So if I, I know, but at- I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to say that. I was just trying to I was trying to put pressure on all the righties this year. Oh. That's what I was trying to do. Okay. If I gave you one club to play, the Masters. Let let's just play you were gonna play Augusta, not the Masters. I gave you one club and that's all you had. What would you use? Always a seven iron. Always. No matter what the course is, it's a seven iron all day. So if I said you only use a seven iron, what do you think you shoot at Augusta? <clears throat> um, tournament tees, pretty long. I mean, I would have to say I'd break 85. Um, the green speeds are up to tournament speeds. Um, yeah, it'd be 85 would be, would be really good. What are the benefits aside from – being a former Masters champ, you get to play every year. You get to go there and play. What are some of the other benefits of being a Masters champ? You get free dinner on Tuesday night at Champions Dinner. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, we, um, you know, being able to show up, being able to take some friends um, throughout can, the year. Can you stay um, on the course during the Masters? Um, not, not, not during, I've never stayed on the course during the masters. Um, 
I promise you there's probably some legends of the game that stayed on site during the Masters. Um, I'm not a legend of the game, so I have not stayed on site during the Masters. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to know um, those stories about the legends of the game who stayed on course because they probably had to, Bubba. It's just true. Um, but isn't um, there the uh, – isn't there the place where the amateur stays? Is yeah, that the, the, the crow's, crow's nest? nest? Yes. Yeah, so the amateurs stay there. Um, I'm taking a wild guess. Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, uh, maybe even Gary Player probably stayed on site during the Masters. Um, um, yeah, so you get to play. You get to um, have the green jacket in your locker when you show up. Um, you get to bring a guest on Sunday, the Sunday before. My wife's played every year since I've had that that uh, privilege. Um, you know, it, and really, you just belong to the club, even though it's you're not a, a regular member. It's just they make you feel so special and, and part of it that week, um, that whole week. And that's why I show up for the ladies amateur and the, uh, the drive, chip and putt is because I want to be part of the club. I, I want to um, grow the game of golf just like the membership's trying to do. You know, I took a divot one time when I played there. I brought it home with me. That's bad, isn't it? No, because there's a lot of people would love to do that. Yeah, I, I do thought, you still have the divot? No, but my wife was like, Are you gonna put it in the yard and try to grow? I said, I didn't know if I put it under a grow lamp or something, but I like haven't people tried to steal the sand out of Augusta or so, I don't know, like little little vials that they take with them or something. Like I don't want to get in trouble. I don't know if I'll ever play it again, but I took a divot. Put it in a baggie. That's sad. I should have, I should have taken some of that pine straw that I hit off of in 2012. <laughs> hey, uh, it's great to have you involved in Link Soul, and I know you're uh, involved with a, a special T-shirt this week with uh, Lee Elder yeah. there, and uh, actually we're showing it right now. But um, no, it's a great company. I'm glad you're part of it as well, and uh, you literally put your money uh, where your mouth is when it came to Link Soul. So it's uh, great to be yeah, part of that sure. program with you, Bubba. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. And uh, have fun next week. All right. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. That's Bubba Watson, two-time Masters champ. Yeah, Link Soul has a T-shirt, and it's really to honor, embody the spirit that was Lee Elder. In 1975, he broke the color barrier at Augusta and provided a vision of what golf would be. passed away in 2021. But uh, his wife, Sharon, faces serious health crisis of her own, and she's... uh, embattled with Alzheimer's. So there's mounting medical bills, rising health care costs, and no meaningful income to assist. And Link Soul decided to come up with the Thank You, Mr. Elder Charity, uh, a T-shirt to commemorate Lee's accomplishments. And uh, it just says, it says 1975 on the back of it. 100% of the proceeds from the sale of this T-shirt, any additional donation you wish to make, go direct, directly to the Lee Elder Trust to cover his wife's health care costs and sustain the Lee Elder Memorial Fund. He's one of the nicest people I ever met. Not just athletes. One of the nicest people. I met him at a Hootie and the Bullfish Monday after the Masters tournament. And he just, I, you know, people were there, but I don't think they realized that Lee Elder and what he meant to the game of golf, breaking the color barrier at Augusta in 1975. But go to com. Yes, Paulie. First of all, it's a gorgeous shirt. It's got this cool 70s vibe on the yeah. back. Yep. All right, I have a five-minute poll question off Bubba Watson's appearance. Okay. 
you could have one accomplishment in your life and you don't do much else. Like, let's say you're a good golfer who muddles around the tour for a long time. Right. Or so you could be a Masters champion or be a Heisman Trophy winner. A Heisman Trophy winner that does not play in the NFL okay. or has a, a brief career in the NFL, like a Eric Crouch. Eric Crouch had a cup of coffee with the Rams, but didn't stick. Okay. Or like, you could be, um, I'm trying to think, Patrick Reed's probably too good of a golfer, but he's yeah. got a Masters. How about Trevor Immelman? Trevor Immelman, 2008 Masters champion. Would I rather be Eric Crouch, legend in Nebraska, Heisman Trophy winner, or Trevor Immelman, who is a broadcaster for uh, NBC? And when he's introduced on every broadcast, former Masters champion Trevor Immelman. Just like Eric Crouch when he goes to speak. That's a toughie. I think I'd rather be a Masters champ. Because when you go back, you get to play. You can play when you want. You get to go to the dinners with everybody, even if you've never won anything. And Trevor Immelman was not a big winner on tour. Yes, Todd? Other than the green jacket, which you can keep, you can have that in your closet, or how does that work? You don't give it back. How do you display? You leave it there. Do you get an award or any kind of trophy or anything? As far as from a display standpoint, the Heisman. Yes. I think think your trophy is uh, a model of the the, um, clubhouse there at Augusta. Beautiful trophy. But you have to leave your green jacket there. I think the first year you get to keep it, and then you uh, keep it there on the grounds. Yeah, Paul. And there's something to be said for, hey, you won a Heisman. How was your NFL career? Um, when you win the Masters, you don't have to, a lot of explaining to do. Because you've won it as a professional. Yeah. Where Eric Crouch won it as an amateur. And you got a big, what's that, check? Two mil for a Masters probably? A million and a half? Probably more than that. Well, I don't know what it was when Trevor Immelman won it, but... If there's pretty good money attached to that. By the way, it is a meat Friday in case you're wondering. Smoked pork chops, balsamic glaze, mashed red potatoes, honey glazed carrots, and the recipe will be on danpatrick.com. Who has it better than we do? Nobody. No, nobody. No, no, no. Except for the Masters winner who will get $2.1 million okay. this year. All right. <laughs> 